12, episode 6. Please proceed with care. This podcast contains naughty stuff. Welcome to 12 with Sarah Sloan, a podcast series exploring the 12 different ways a woman is apparently able to orgasm. I want to empower women and the ones who adore them by exploring the female erotic. I'm on a quest to learn more about my sexual desires and improve my relationship with myself, my body and my partner of 10 years, referred to here as H. If you are new to 12, I recommend you start at the beginning of the series. This episode is dedicated to the blended orgasm, dear listeners. But before I blend anything, I have to have a moan. I went shopping for new bras the other day, first time since my youngest, now three, was born. I was excited about having fun new underwear and also keen to look after my boobs. Since breastfeeding, they have mellowed. They're still an F cup, but less full, and I love them. I went to a shop that caters for larger-breasted ladies. I was in the changing room with my daughter, age six, and an assistant. Angela, an older, buxom lady, immediately put me at ease. She took a look at the bra I was wearing when I arrived and I explained, It digs in. I always have massive marks after wearing it all day. Angela's response, You're wearing the right size bra. Then she laughed, I'm afraid you're always going to get those marks. You're wearing a piece of metal tightly strapped to your frame, carrying weight. It's the way it is. I proceeded to try on lots of expensive, really tight bras and came home with three of them. I've been wearing them for weeks and they are making dents in my body, driving me to distraction. It seems that the older I get, the less tolerance I have for being uncomfortable. My high heels have been gathering dust for years. Every time I think to myself, surely this can't be right, I think of Angela's stoicism and I try and pull myself together. Then I start googling alternative bras in the hope that a genius woman somewhere is coming up with a plan. Any women out there with a solution, please shout out. To make matters worse, I'm wearing a pair of jeans that are also too tight. Being squashed into clothes that are too small is making me feel rubbish. In my head, I'm scolding my 41-year-old body for taking up too much space. My incredible body, which has done nothing but be brilliant to me. I'm feeling crap about myself because the vessel I was blessed with doesn't match up to some crazy understanding I have of what it should look like. I am bored of still giving a fuck about my body image. But recently, it has been at the forefront of my mind. Possibly because I'm ageing now. Older women out there will get annoyed because 41 is really very young. But my face is maturing, I'm less cheekbones, more jowls, I have wrinkles, my hair is turning grey. Right now, for a reason I still can't quite figure out, I'm buying into the myth that this is it. That because I'm no longer young and beautiful, I'm no longer relevant. Game over. Woof! I need to sort this out before I attempt a blended orgasm. No one can get fired up in the bedroom when taken over by self-doubt. This old, toxic record that is playing in my head, that has played in my head and in so many women's heads for years. I usually have a handle on it, but right now... I head for the internet for support, and then I realise I've got it all wrong. It's not what other people say that matters, it's what I'm telling myself that makes the difference. 
the American model Amber Rose sums it up beautifully when she says, I always feel confident. I never allow myself to not feel confident. I try to tell girls to wake up and say, I'm going out there, I'm going to kill it today. I look fucking amazing. And that's just what it is. You talk it into existence. I have a mantra that I say to myself as often as I can, sometimes up to ten times a day. It depends how big a challenge I am facing. The mantra is a list of my strengths and what I am like when I'm at my best. Eve Ensler, who wrote the Vagina Monologues, said, quote, One of the most radical things women can do is love their bodies. And suddenly, I feel motivated to challenge that voice in my head and win. Right, I've told myself I'm brilliant, which I am, and now I'm ready to try out that blended orgasm. There are various interpretations of what a blended orgasm is, but I'm going with my own. A blended orgasm is when you are stimulated both internally and externally. It could be a combination of the G-spot and the U-spot, or the nipples and the A-spot, anal and the clitoris. Lots of options to try. H and I had a full start on this one. Full start being a bit of an understatement. We got together as usual, which, if I'm honest, is probably the trigger for what was to follow. And what had previously been sexy and exciting felt, well, routine and uninspiring. I didn't want a flood. I didn't want to be stroked. I didn't want music, even though H selection was excellent. I felt frustrated and angry. All the research I'd been doing was building up in my mind. I felt a huge distance between us. I was full of resentment for many reasons, and the last thing I wanted him to do was to touch me. I resented him for not doing more to improve our sex life. I was angry with him for not taking more initiative, always following my ideas, taking my lead. And quite frankly, I was angry with all men, and he was there as their representative. We are goddesses. We create life. Why can't you men see that? Honour that. Respect that, I said. And then I cried. Hats off to H. He did exactly the right thing. He held me. He held the wildness in his arms. But bless him. On this occasion, that was not enough. We tried to get back on track, but it went from bad to worse. I attempted to give him direction during foreplay, and then I asked him a question, which I now realise was not ideal. I'm embarrassed to share what I asked, but I just know I have to. Hopefully it will give you something to laugh at, if nothing else. But first, about giving direction during an intimate moment. Previously, when I'd given H direction in bed, I've done it in a subtle, gentle way. This time, I just told him what to do. Apparently, not the way to go. The silver lining to this was discovering Evian Whitney, a sexuality doula, no less. Yes, people, that is a thing. According to her interview in Nylon magazine, a sexuality doula is, quote, someone who helps people transition out of sexual shame, trauma, fear and confusion into sexual liberation, expression and freedom. Amazing! A while back, she posted the six steps to asking for what you want sexually. Number one, figure out what you want sexually. Two, do it outside of the bedroom. Three, make it playful and light. Four, 
be intentional with your words. Five, invite discussion with your partner. Six, repeat. Brilliant. But before I put that to the test, I now need to confess. That question I asked H whilst in bed getting all steamed up and delighted in our nakedness. Deep breath, here goes. He was showing my vulva some love and out of nowhere I asked, Has it changed since Ewan's birth? Eek! I now know that for H there is no faster way to go from hot, hot, hot to ice cold. Total mood killer. It reminded me of the entertainer Robbie Williams on a talk show after having his first child. Emma Thompson, also on the red sofa, asked if during the birth he was down the business end. He replied that yes, yes he was, and went on to say that it was like watching his favourite pub burning down. For some of you brilliant listeners, quite frankly, I will sound spoilt. I sabotaged a perfectly good moment with a man who loves me. But before finding something else to listen to, I want to share what was going on for me that night. As both Evian and Nimco Ali from episode 5 point out, as women, we need to figure out what we want sexually. That's our responsibility. And I haven't spent enough time doing this. Yes, as you know, I masturbate, but I do it one way. And yes, I am suggesting lots of different types of orgasms to H, but I'm not telling him how that translates to me and my needs. I've just been running headlong into 12. And don't get me wrong, I've been having a great time. But I feel like I need to go a little deeper. A friend of mine said she was a performer in bed and didn't know how to get to sex being about connection. For me, I think my own idea of my sexuality doesn't quite match up to the reality. I so want to be some kind of Dieter Von Tees, when in fact I'm carrying a lot of shame and fear into the bedroom that I haven't acknowledged yet. Nothing as traumatic as what so many women are dealing with. But in short, like many of us, I'm not yet fully comfortable and confident with my sexuality. I think some of my shame and fear come from the same place. Probably the fact that my first lover and my first love, who I dated for four years, spent all of those years having sex with other women behind my back. Many, many women. It was a long time ago. It took me years to heal from it, far longer than if I had known I needed to heal. But I was young, and when you're young, you just crack on. Looking back... I don't think I ever stopped to consider how his infidelity impacted on my sexuality. Now I stop and think about it, I can see that I may have shut down a little sexually. I gave him my virginity and my heart. He asked for one, but not the other. And I think that is important to share. I wanted something quite different to him. And because he was young, unfortunately, he didn't handle it very well. He didn't stop to think about the impact on me of his actions. As many of you know, the shame comes from everyone knowing what is going on but you, along with the knife in the heart that is the belief, I'm not enough. And thoughts of how stupid you must have been to let it happen. The fear comes from thinking it will happen again, 
because, well, that belief has settled in and made itself at home. I'm not enough. I have been pretty confrontational in bed, getting exasperated if men don't excite me or don't have the confidence to really take control of the situation. I'm rejecting them before they can reject me. It certainly is a pretty full-on test to see if a man will stay. Many didn't, but luckily for me, H has. I have no idea whether any of this makes sense. I'm no therapist, and I have no idea what to do now. Dance naked in front of the mirror? Dress up in gorgeous, sexy underwear? Tell myself I am amazing, again? Spend more time getting to know my vulva? Try and understand more about the power of the feminine? Hmm. Seems like a good list, but where to find the time? So I picked one. Yep, you guessed it. I decided to spend more time with my vulva. I hope this would bring me pleasure as well as deepen my connection to myself. I went back to OMG Yes for ideas. No, they're not paying me. Spending time exploring season one reinforced the fact that female sexual pleasure is unique to each woman. What worked for one woman in a case study, circular motions to the left of her clitoris, didn't feel good for me at all. So I started exploring while staying clear of the G-spot. I wanted to find a way to climax that I hadn't tried before. Time well spent. Time very well spent. And actually, it only took about 20 minutes. I didn't go near the hood and tip of my clitoris. Instead, I focused on the area around the entrance to my vagina. Good times. Another first for me. Who cares what comes next? This alone is a development. It came down to being relaxed and gentle with myself, leading with curiosity and then following the pleasure. It also definitely helped that I had been thinking about sex for a while beforehand, researching 12, and was alone in the house. However, before I could come up with a plan for communicating all this to H, we were back in bed, going for our second attempt of the blended orgasm. We tried a different room, which was a good idea, but I just wasn't in the mood. Emily Nagoski talks about our sexual breaks and accelerators in her book, Come As You Are. I did her test and came out in the middle ground on both, by which I mean that my brain's accelerator, quote, anything I see, hear, smell, touch, taste or imagine that my brain has learned to associate with sexual arousal and my breaks, my brain's association with potential threats, are like most people's. Emily describes sexual breaks as, quote, any good reason not to be turned on right now. These can be anything from STDs and unwanted pregnancy to relationship issues or social reputation. I had already had a good orgasm on my own a few hours before meeting H in bed. Could that have had something to do with it? Well, the orgasm itself wouldn't have. There have been days when I've had more than one orgasm in a row. But I think it was in the back of my mind. And honestly, I felt like I'd scratched that immediate itch for want of a better expression. And then there was the baggage of the last time we had tried and how I'd made a couple of quite big mistakes mentioning my second child's birth and giving explicit feedback during foreplay. Since then, H and I had been feeling the repercussions. We retreated into our own camps and drew up invisible battle lines for a while, frightened of each other 
and our own emotions. My ego felt fragile. I'm pretty sure his did too. Deep breath, get back on the horse. That sounds awful, but it does illustrate how I felt. All of this must have been what left me a little cold, along with the expectation of what I wanted to have happen. This lovely-sounding, blended orgasm. And H could tell. But he tried really hard, putting into practice what we had discovered so far. I was hoping for a G-spot and clitoral orgasm because I thought the two together would be amazing and I so wanted to experience that G-spot orgasm again. But it didn't happen. My brakes were firmly on. I didn't come at all that night. But it was lovely. I might not have had any kind of orgasm, but I learnt three big lessons. One, that despite trying not to, I had started to view the 12 different ways to orgasm as a box-ticking exercise. I so wanted that blended orgasm. It's vital this mentality does not take over. The 12 are a means to an end. This cannot become yet another list of tasks for my to-do list. Two, that communication about sex with a partner in my case someone I've been with for 10 years, is difficult. That H and I, if we want to keep strengthening and deepening our sexual partnership, do not only need to be physically naked when we come together, we also have to be prepared to get emotionally naked. We need to be more open, honest, brave and vulnerable. Not easy when the ego is around. 3. I learnt that emotional pain needs to be exercised in some way. Time might well be a healer, but the toxicity of my experience in my early 20s has been kept alive in my belief system all these years. I learnt that the belief, I am not enough, has had an impact on my sex life. So what to do? Well, I found an interesting article in Psychology Today about a survey of 5,000 Australian men and women aged 16 to 59. Of the 5,118 people asked, the following said they had experienced these sexual acts during their last sexual encounter. Fellatio. 26% of men said they'd received it. 24% of women said they'd provided. Cunnilingus. 30% of men said they provided. 24% of women said they'd received. Anal play. 1% of men said they'd provided. 1% of women said they'd received. Sometimes I expect the moon, and I expect it yesterday. Patience has never been a virtue. This reminded me what normal looks like. When it comes to communication with H, I will try Evian's advice. I found it interesting, however, that Lou Paget, one of the world's most popular sex authors, suggests rather than having a conversation in the daylight, to have it, quote, while horizontal, with low lighting and snuggling, not while in mid-activity. Because I think that might suit H&I better. Each their own, obviously. But this communication piece feels key. I told H about how my first love's infidelity had impacted me. I explained that all these years I had been worried, somewhere in my subconscious, that he was going to leave because I wasn't good enough. And that in the past I had bought that belief and played it out in the bedroom. He appreciated it. Progress. Which is, after all, all that matters. This episode has made me even more aware of my privilege. 
I'm not saying that my experience of infidelity wasn't hard, because it was. But when I read about what other women have experienced and continue to experience, it makes me see even more clearly how far we have yet to travel. As Roxane Gay, leading American feminist essayist, writes, Some women being empowered does not prove that the patriarchy is dead. It proves that some of us are lucky. The next episode will focus on the mental orgasm. Follow and connect via Instagram at 12 for pleasure. Thanks for listening.